Well, it's that time again. This is Brandon with 238 Media, and I am so excited that you have the time to come by to be with us as we continue our already and progress study that we have been working on, in particular, the intricacies that are related to understanding the new birth experience. In this session, we're going to be picking up with the Lord's statements uh, to Nicodemus. The primary vantage point through which we will be examining these things will primarily deal with entering the kingdom of God and the words of the Lord Jesus as it relates to the necessity of entering into the church. So let somebody know we're about to get started. Please, if you will, share and subscribe. And also, this is a podcast where we are very dependent upon your support. So if you have the chance to uh, support us on our anchor platform, uh, a dollar, anything uh, will be appreciated. It'll help us to invest into more equipment and to also to be able to do more things that are beneficial to an apostolic Pentecostal audience. So, hey, let's get started. So as stated, the aspect of entering the kingdom of God is the ultimate end goal. And I think when we think of entering the kingdom of God, many times if we have not had proper doctrine from a oneness Pentecostal or apostolic worldview, it is quite easy for us to look at it in a denominal sense, but I believe as it pertains to salvation, the best way to do that is to go back to the very book of scriptures themselves. And in particular, one of the most profound instances of the Lord just really giving us a clear intent and process related to being born again is seen in St. John, uh, the third chapter, when it says there was a man that came to Jesus by night, Nicodemus of the Pharisees. And he told Jesus that, Rabboni, we know that you are a teacher sent from God. How did he know this? Because nobody can do these miracles, except it is that God is with him. So Nicodemus, obviously being very persuaded with the things that he saw in the ministry of Jesus, the things that were reported of him, uh, Nicodemus bought into what he had saw. And it is in the context of this conversation that we have probably one of the most profound interpersonal engagements that the Lord really makes it clear what a man must do in order to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, John, the St. Uh, John, the third chapter records uh, this event. And it's important to remember that Nicodemus is, uh, again, a very prestigious leader within his social setting. He is a man of notoriety. He is a man of position. And for all intents and purposes, if any person should be primed and ready to be a beneficiary of the coming dispensational covenant, of the new birth, 
Nicodemus would seemingly be a person who would not only be a prime candidate, but probably one who would be equipped more than most to help others understand what is taking place. And when Jesus began to present this idea to him in St. John 3 and 3, uh, Jesus just responded. He just kind of almost cut right to the chase by saying, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting because considering the theological advantage that he had as it relates to the, the understanding the order of the Jewish religion and also the testimony of the prophets, one would assume that when Jesus began to speak in this way, that Nicodemus should have readily understood what the Lord was communicating. But as we know, Nicodemus did not understand this because he followed up the second time with the question. And uh, it's it's very demonstrative of his lack of revelatory insight, which I always think it's important to never get revelatory insight confused with information. Nicodemus said, well, how can a man be born a second time from his mother's womb? Uh, Jesus really got to the point and he really makes it clear. And this is going to be on the precipice of our focus as we study today. Jesus said in St. John 3 and 5, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, notice from St. John 3, uh, he says, see the kingdom of God, which it brings further understanding that when Jesus is saying, see the kingdom of God, he is talking about entering into the kingdom of God, because it's safe to say that a person that has entered the kingdom of God has by necessity seen the kingdom of God. Jesus was pointing toward a new age in which the kingdom of God would be soon revealed uh, initially through every person, which is the reign rule of Jesus Christ within our hearts initially. And then we will see that kingdom of God realized through the physical manifestation of his millennial reign upon the earth. But in order to enter and to become a permanent resident of this kingdom, it is of the utmost necessity that a person be born again, be born again, and not only be born again, but Jesus clarifies the statement by saying, born of the water and born of the spirit. Now, as we look at what the kingdom of God is, this is a concept. If you have grown up in a very American setting, such as myself, it's very easy to uh, kind of become, how can you say disconnected from the conceptual reality of what it is to be in a monarchy. Uh, And so when we speak of a kingdom, it is of necessity that we also speak of the monarch. What is, therefore, the kingdom of God? And even more importantly, how does this kingdom relate to our salvation? The words themselves, as we have discussed, when we speak of a kingdom. Carry the implicit understanding that there must be a king. Because you cannot have a king without a kingdom, nor can you have a kingdom without a king. So 
the first thing that must be established when understanding what the kingdom of God is. So the first task that we must ready ourselves with is to understand who the king is. The king, of course, is the Lord God Almighty, who is, of course, in our dispensation, revealed himself as the incarnate one within the man Christ Jesus. Now, we understand that in a similar way to how we understand salvation, that the kingdom of God is revealed in three tenses of time. We can understand the kingdom of God also in somewhat of a tense or temporal sense of time. We understand that the kingdom of God has a present sense as it is being realized currently within the hearts of those who have accepted and obeyed the gospel, that essentially the kingdom of God now is the reign, rule, and current willful submission to the administrative role and policies of the king's decrees. We understand that from the ministry of Jesus, that the initial work that he uh, began to endeavor in in Mark, the first chapter, verses 14 through 15, that he came preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand. And of course, those guys by the name of the Pharisees couldn't just let that go. And so they began to ask Jesus, when would this kingdom come? And the Lord responded uh, by telling them, uh, we have an account of this in Luke, the 17th chapter verses 20 through 21, where the Lord tells them that the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say low here or low there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The aspect of the kingdom that our Lord was describing was the aspect of the kingdom of God that will be realized within the giving of the Holy Ghost that will dwell within us, that enables us to become citizens of the new Jerusalem, which is the kingdom of God. And also, in a secondary sense, that distribution of the spirit allows us to actively participate and submit to the laws, rules, and regulations of the kingdom of God. Thus, we can see why Paul said in Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God, okay, is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And so this present aspect of the kingdom of God actually consists of the riches of his eternal kingdom that will inevitably be realized uh, and consummated when he returns to reign upon the earth for a thousand years. This aspect of the kingdom is most notably referred to as the future wrist tense of the kingdom of God, and it will be established uh, throughout eternity by the judgment of uh, all things being done in a way that really promotes righteousness and godliness in the truest sense. Now, the book of Revelation describes the future aspects of the kingdom of God in many different ways. The kingdoms in of this world, in one sense, are going to have a, a takeover, if you will, by the true kingdom of Christ and will become, how can you say, outreaches or expansions of the true kingdom of God. Uh, the Bible talks about the authority of these different beasts taking from them for a season. 
so there is going to be a, a recalibration of all of the ways that the earth has been identified uh, as uh, this nation against this nation. They're all going to become subject uh, to the true kingdom of God, where the Bible says that the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Revelation 11, 5. The Bible also says in Revelation 19 and 6, and that day voices will proclaim the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. So we wait with great expectation that it will be in that day that Jesus will be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and will occupy the throne of David and inevitably, which will expand to the divine throne for all eternity. Revelation 19, 16, Revelation 22, verses one through three. So we are expecting some great things as it relates to the kingdom of God because of the promises of God that he has given us as it pertains to the establishment and fulfillment of his great promises all throughout scripture. Now you may be saying, well, how does this necessarily apply to a series that deals with what one must do in order to be saved? Well, as already established, Nicodemus had asked this question uh, because he wanted to enter into the kingdom of God. And so when we understand all of these things in con, uh, context of St. John 3, as it relates to the kingdom of God, we will find that the essential nature of being born again is not a subject that's up for debate. And so in essence, what the Lord is really demonstrating to Nicodemus, that it is of no circumstance that any person that is not born again will have eternal life because in essence, future salvation consists of eternal life free from sin and its consequences. And this simply means entering into the future aspect of the kingdom of God, which will be the new heaven and new earth that will be free of rebellion against anything that God has decreed to be wrong. And so how can I be saved again? I must be born again. Now, interestingly enough, when we see the concept of being born again, it is inclusive of being born of the water and of the spirit. And of course, the first case study that we have of this event taking place is on the day of Pentecost, when about 120 disciples obeyed the preached message of Peter, where he commanded them to repent, Acts 2.38, and be baptized, every one of them in the name of the Lord Jesus. But in context, Acts 2 records that on the Jewish feast day that we call Pentecost, uh, this was the day that the Lord in his sovereignty decided to pour out his spirit uh, to fulfill the prophecy of Joel. And so we have a commotion taking place. The disciples have received the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. And Peter sees this opportunity to now preach the full gospel message uh, with this fresh anointed zeal that only comes from a person that has been baptized in the spirit. And after his preaching and making them aware that it is they who crucified Jesus of Nazareth, that it is the same Jesus that the Lord God has raised from the dead. 
they coming into a real reality of their sinful condition responded to Peter in Acts 2.37 and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And the context clearly makes it clear. They were asking, how can we receive forgiveness of our sins? And as we who are apostolic know, of course, it's repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Some will say, well, you're just simply saved at the moment you mentally ascend that the gospel is true. Well, if this is the case, why wasn't that the response that Peter gave them? We find another instance uh, of when Paul is speaking to the Philippian jailer after uh, he has decided not to kill himself. And what we must understand as it relates to the Jews on the day of Pentecost, these were Jews who understood contextually what it meant to repent, what it meant to be baptized, and they knew exactly what Peter was talking about as it related to receiving the Spirit, because they, by context, would have already been privy to the prophecies of Joel. So what we see is that in this instance, Paul is speaking to a man who has not had the robust upbringing within a Jewish context to know what it is to be in the kingdom of God, all these things he he is void. And so this is why in Acts 16 verses 30 through 31, he gives the blanket statement of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved and thy house. And the Bible further records, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in the house. And he took them to the same hour of that night and washed their uh, backs or very much whatever the things they were. And they were baptized uh, into the course, the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, in this instance, he doesn't give us the pers- uh, descriptive of what happened, but it's safe to assume that what took place in Acts 10 took place in this context. Uh, so he gave him the statement because more than likely this Philippian jailer did not know the full gospel message. And so he had to take time to explain to him. Why do you bring this up? Because this is a text that many will take to try to demonstrate the non-essentiality of receiving the Holy Ghost and why it is not something that is applicable to those who seek the Lord today. But I would say that this is something that divorces the full context of Scripture from what we were prescribed to the Lord in St. John 3 and 5. So next time that we come together, we're going to pick up with our next installment, which is going to encompass understanding and obeying the gospel. Hey, and as always, it is the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. The Lord bless you in Jesus' mighty name.